The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. How's everybody doing? Good. It's good to see you. You know, uh, uh, it's funny, you guys probably don't get to see it, but normally Alan sits right here. There's this, you know, this, this chair that's got like his butt imprint in it because he sits there all the time. And, uh, but when I, normally when I'm up here playing piano and leading uh, the singing, he, he's sitting over here and he's, he's, not, he's not standing up like in it. He's, he's really trying to, to think about what he's going to say because uh, Saturday nights he, 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 gets, he works all week to get his seven points together. I don't know if you know this or not, but he, he gets seven points together uh, and, then, and then he works all Saturday night uh, on how to get from point to point to point. And sometimes he's up all night walking around the neighborhood. I've had calls from Alan at like two o'clock in the morning, you know, hey man, I got an idea. Good for you. So, but he'll, um, but he sits over here and he's, he's trying to, he's trying to focus his mind on his notes. You know, he's just kind of sitting here like this. That's more like this. It's a lot more gangly than I, than I am. But he, uh, He's getting his, notes, uh, his thoughts together, but um, I realized I left my notes up here, so I, I didn't get my thoughts together. So uh, it's going to be a whole lot of this, a lot of this today. Anyway, uh, he came to me and said, uh, hey, I'd like, you to, I'd like you to speak, and the, the, the topic is truthful yet graceful. And I said, great, that sounds wonderful. And he left my office, and I thought, man, I wonder what that's going to be about. Because... <laughs> Because immediately uh, I think of I think of a, a couple things when I hear truthful yet graceful. I kind of think of uh, there's this part in Ephesians where Paul talks about speaking the truth in love, and so I'm thinking, are oh, you truthful but you're graceful about it? Uh, or I'm thinking about uh, John where uh, he talks about um, the glory of the Lord coming full of grace and truth. And so uh, I couldn't really I, I couldn't really uh, figure out which to do. So today, twofer. Twofer, uh, I've been able to somehow uh, take two 30-minute messages and form them into a 90-minute uh, a one-act mime. So it should be really cool. I'm just kidding about the mime part. I wouldn't ever do that. Truthful yet graceful, we're going to come at it from a couple of angles, uh, kind of like a community piece. And then uh, we're going to look at who, who Jesus is. So let's, let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for this day and for who you are. Um, thank you for your church. I pray that you will help us grow up into you. We love you. Amen. So the first one's from Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. If you're following along, it's right after Galatians and before Philippians. Chapter, chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. So that we may no longer be children... Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So let me, let me tell you a few stories. Imagine you've taken your car into the shop, Okay. And you go and you talk to the mechanic, and the mechanic says, your car must be taken care of by an automotive genius. 
This is one sweet ride. I've looked it over top to bottom, found nothing wrong with it. You're thinking, sweet. I love to hear that. And then you go out, and you come up to a stop sign, and you meet the stop sign head on because your brakes don't work. You almost died. So you go back to the shop, and you look at the guy and say, hey, did you know something was wrong with my brakes? Yeah. Yeah, I knew something was wrong with your brakes, but I didn't have the heart to tell you. I mean, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. And, uh, I mean, I want, this, I want my shop to be a place where you feel loved and respected and accepted. <laughs> You'd be hacked. Hey, man, when it's my car, I want the truth. Or you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, Sir, you are an unbelievable physical specimen. <laughs> the body of an Olympian. I don't want to tell you that I'm impressed. I just want to congratulate you. Way to go. And you leave there thinking, All right. I'm feeling pretty good. And you leave there and you walk up the stairs and you have a heart attack, pretty much. Keel over, your heart gives out. You find out later the lab couldn't tell the difference between your blood and sausage gravy. And you walk back to the doctor and say, what is up? You said I was good. Oh, yeah. Well, I kind of knew that you had one foot in the grave, but I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Uh, and, you know, telling people that they might die is not really great for business. And I want this to be a safe place where you feel loved and accepted. You picking up where this might be going? So let's say uh, you go to a party. And you leave the party and you and your significant other are heading home and they say, once again, I was struck how your natural charisma and your superior intellect continue to amaze. You somehow wonderfully surmise that everyone at the party would have rather heard you pontificate out of your brilliance than have anything to say for themselves. That would tend to get under your skin, I would think to hear the truth about yourself because the fact is we're cool hearing about stuff that we care about I want to know the truth about my car I want to know the truth about my body the truth about my character so much I don't care about so I don't really need to hear that um, we're, we're, we, we don't really want to hear the truth about ourselves but the fact is if we do hear the truth about ourselves it helps us grow Winston Churchill says men occasionally stumble on the truth but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened so imagine I think that's great so imagine uh, the same kind of story at a church. You walk in, meet somebody, and they say, hey, got an anger problem? Don't worry. No big deal. We won't confront you with it because we don't like conflict here. Uh, and, uh, uh, oh, you, you hoard lots of money? You got lots of money and you hoard it? No big deal. Lots of us have lots of money, but we're not going to call anybody on it because they might get mad and they might leave, and we don't want our cash walking out the door. Uh, you don't... No, uh, a pass you're passive in, in the face of injustice, no big deal. We prefer it. Passivity is a big deal. We dig that. We dig passivity. We're not going to talk much about sin here a little bit, mostly sin out there, but not sin in here because then, then we wouldn't feel good. And we're supposed to leave church feeling good. Did you pick up? That was sarcastic. Did you hear that? Grace is defined as undeserved favor, you may have heard that definition before, or unmerited favor. You can't do anything to deserve grace. You, didn't, you got the good, but you didn't do anything to deserve it. The fact is you can't deserve or earn grace. If you can deserve it or earn it, it's a reward. It's something else, but it's not grace. Grace, grace can't be earned. And we love grace. We love to hear about it. We love to sing about it. We love to talk about it. We love to read books on it and hear messages on it. 
Grace is wonderful. At times, we have a danger of worshiping feeling good, the effect, kind of the effect of grace. We have a, we have a time worship, worshiping feeling good instead of worshiping Jesus. Does that make sense? John says, and I'll read this later in full, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. We need a balance between grace and truth because, because grace without truth taken to its end can just be uh, a behavior of, uh, of enabling. Truth without grace, if, if left to its own, could, could, could uh, roll into tyranny into just kind of a hard-fisted rule. So let me read our, our, our scripture again. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I need people who will speak the truth to me because I have a sin problem. We do. And I don't know how bad it is. It's worse than I think. And it's, and it's pervasive. I, I found several little scriptures here. John writes, if we claim we're without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Obadiah says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Jeremiah says, the heart is, is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. cure. Who can understand it? Uh, I found a writer named Michael Novak say this, our capacity for self-deception has no known limits. We spend lots of time fooling ourselves, lying to ourselves. We do it a lot, every day, more than every day, incessantly. It keeps on going on. And the big part of it is that a lot of times we don't notice it. And that's kind of a big thing in sin's dynamic is that it doesn't show itself to us very often. We kind of, it, it's, it has a really good ability to hide. It happens quickly too. Check this out. Lori was out of town. She was in Honduras. I was with the kids in the car. She hasn't heard this story. She's freaking out currently. And uh, so the kids are having a, a fight in the back seat. And... Uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of getting loud, a little bit louder than, than with Lori here. Lori, you know, Lori has, Lori has a, she's a little higher on the rung in the house. But she, so it's getting loud, and I, I have to pull over the side of the road and just and kind of be the uh, cross-examiner here. I'm going to figure out who's, who's doing this, and I'm trying to divine who is, who's the culprit. And finally, it gets down to one of the kids, and I'm about to Perry Mason her right there. I'm about to bring it home, and she says, but Daddy, you don't think I'd lie to you, do you? And I'm just like, well, honey, no, no. Of course I don't. And I turn around, so I'm preparing for this message. So in my mind, I'm thinking, the heart is deceitful above all things. So I have a little daydream in the front seat, and I replay that thing. Well, Daddy, you don't think I would lie to you, do you? Do I think you would lie to me? Of course I think you would lie to me. You're darn right I do. I lie. Everybody I know lies. Your mom lies, that's for sure. Everybody <laughs> lies. I know that in your heart of hearts, you want to tell the truth and be a sweet little girl, but I think you're capable of lying. <laughs> I'm 
little liar. <laughs> trying to grow spiritually without hearing the truth about yourself is like, it's like picking up a Russian dictionary and thinking you're going to learn how to speak Russian. It's not going to happen. Uh, and I know, I know a little bit about lying because I was a notorious liar as a child. I lied and lied and lied. Anybody who knows me when I was a kid will tell you this. They will all attest to it. My mother, in fact, will tell you happily about the time I told everyone that I rode a killer whale at SeaWorld. <laughs> and I remember telling this lie because I told it so many times. But anyway, it was my rep. I was a liar. And I'm out in the street fighting with my little brother, fighting, playing, fighting. Uh, and I got the better of him. He fell down, he got hurt, started crying, got really mad, and he said, you stupid expletive. And I was like, oh, I'm going to tell mom and dad. And his tears dried up like that. And he went, go ahead. They won't believe you. That statement forever curbed my lying. Because he was right. I was like, oh, he's right. No one believes me. So there's a couple, there's a couple statements that come to mind about, about telling the truth. And one of them is from the movie A Few Good Men. Has everybody seen that? Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson. That movie is bad news. It's, Jack, it's Tom Cruise, and, he, and he's examining uh, Nicholson, who's on the stand, and Nicholson's like, you want answers? Tom Cruise, I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! <laughs> Somehow he went adolescent there. And then Nicholson comes back with what? You? Yes. I just grew hair. It was awesome. So you contrast that with Jesus who says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So we got to pick Jack or Jesus, apparently. Be wise there. John Ortberg says this. Here is the truth about the truth. The truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. I do all these things I'm not even aware of to avoid the truth. I compartmentalize my thoughts in genius, skillful ways. I use selective attention. I use procrastination. I don't say never to a good thing. That is totally true about me. I just say later. I use whatever perspective helps me think about myself the way I want to think about myself. I say that I often forget things, but it only seems to be those things that are important to someone else and not me. It turns out I don't actually forget things at random. I remember what really matters to me. If I forget acts of servanthood or commitments that another dad or another husband would remember, what does that say about my heart? So what, is it, what does it mean to forget God? There's another author named Neil uh, Plantinga from the Calvin Theological Seminary. He writes, I go de hours, days, weeks at a time, never really think about him, never really turn my heart and will over to him, never seriously attend to him, never bring him in sustained focus to my mind. 
The thought that by doing this, I am wounding the one who loves me, the thought that I am entangled more and more in the sin that brought Jesus to the cross, that thought becomes bearable and then routine. Eventually, I find God doesn't seem very real. I find myself not praying all that much. The less I pray, the less real God seems. I forget God. I forget sin. How did David forget that he slept with Bathsheba and killed her husband? How do preachers forget their own sexual sin while preaching God's judgment with such vitriol? How does a billionaire extol philanthropy and preach business ethics while ripping off a whole nation in a giant Ponzi scheme? Well, they just do what you and I do all the time, every day, around sexuality, around gossip, around judgmentalism, around racism, around vindictiveness, around envy. We just forget. We just block who we are and what we've done out of sustained consciousness for extended periods of time. So we need each other desperately. I desperately need you, and you desperately need me. Paul says the only way we can grow spiritually is to speak the truth to one another. You know, I just spoke about David and Bathsheba. You know, he went a year deceiving himself about the sin there was against Bathsheba and her husband. Now, he's king. So who's going to bring it up to the king? Well, this guy Nathan finally gets the guts and comes and talks to the king and says a story, tells him a story about a rich man who killed the only lamb of a very, very poor man. He told it in such a way that it really spoke to David and it incensed him and it was so unjust to him and he was like how could someone do this and Nathan said you're the man and it crushed David but it saved David it's good to have a Nathan around Paul said one time when Peter came to Antioch, he had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. He'd given into pressure, become legalistic and exclusive, but Paul loved him enough to call him on it. It's good to have a Paul around. Lori and I met at a church in Chicago, and our pastor was Bill Hybels. Um... And he spoke of this truth-telling thing called the, uh, telling the last 10%. Uh, he talked about how, how lots of us will, uh, and I've totally done this, will work up the nerve to have the confrontational talk, to bring up something that's very hard. And we will talk about it, and we'll get there, and it's in the moment. And the, just at the end, because we're scared because of fear we clam up and we don't tell the last little bit that would have been the whole ball of wax does that make sense now not that i've ever done this but pretend uh you were dating somebody and you kissed somebody else pretend uh just say i was in high school and there was some girl named betty and i kissed sue let's just say uh so you really like betty okay betty's great and you really like her you want to stay with betty but you kiss Sue. And so you work up the nerve to say, this, I did this. I did this. And Betty's heartbroken. She's heartbroken, but she's kind of taken with the fact that you're coming and telling the truth, that you're, that you're bearing your soul. And, and, and she looks at you and says, so it was just that one time at the game that you kissed her? 
That's true. It's, I mean, you, you kissed her at the game. And at the pep rally and at the bonfire. But you look at her, those sad eyes, and this is the moment. Because guaranteed, you're never going to broach this subject again. Yeah, just at the game. I just kissed her at the game. You chickened out. Has anybody ever done that? I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I know there would be lots. It's totally the truth. The last 10%. The last 10% will hang with you forever. I, I, I thought of this in the first service. I hadn't planned on saying this, but when I was 11, uh, sixth grade, uh, presidential physical fitness test. Anybody heard of this? Okay. All right. I took the presidential physical fitness test. When I was 11, I was not very physically fit. Uh, and you had to do all of these things, and all, all of which I was able to somehow do, except for pull-ups. You're supposed to be able to do six pull-ups. I could do one. But it's really easy when nothing's on computer and it's just on cards to make a one a six. So when I was 11, I made a one a six. And I stood up in front of the whole school and I got my patch. So how long does the last 10% hold on? 30 years at least. I mean, and it is so funny. It's so weird. Ask my wife, do I do pull-ups like every day? I can do lots of pull-ups. Why? Because I'm guilty for 30 years. I didn't tell, I, did, I wasn't truthful. And so I'm like trying to pay myself back. Ah, oh, man, I'm done doing pull-ups. The fact is, the truth is 100% true. There are things that can be true. You did kiss Sue, but that's not the truth. You kissed Sue three times. Does that make sense? The truth is 100% shot. Things, little parts of it can be true, but the truth is different. John Ortberg says this directly to his local church, but I'm going to, I think it's something we could hear. I think we could wrap our arms around this. He says, I just want to invite you to think about the possibility that this is actually a really deep sin for our church. He calls it the sin of conniving. In conniving, see, we collude with each other not to call each other on our sin. In conniving, we say, I'll help you ignore your sin if you help me ignore mine. Now, of course, we don't say that to each other. We don't even know what's going on. But like I said, that's kind of sin's deal. You don't know about it. It's not going on. We're not talking about it. Hush, hush, mm-hmm, you know? And all of a sudden, we've got a, we've got a network going on. So it makes it so powerful. We need Nathans and Pauls in our lives. I desperately need you, and you desperately need me. But then Paul goes on to talk about how we're supposed to speak the truth. And this is really important. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. Now, there are people in my life, you know, past and present, that I've seen something, some self-destructive behavior going on, and for some reason or another, I don't do the hard thing. I'm not the most confrontational person you'll ever meet. And I, I, I'm kind of an easy way out kind of guy. I'll admit it. But for some reason or another, I don't, I don't talk to them. I don't have those difficult talks. And I, and, but the thing is, when you don't do that, you unconsciously are building up ammo. Because watch, one day that person will do something mad, and you will be all about the ministry of unloading. All of a sudden, 
they did something that made you mad, but you are mad from five years ago. That's part of, that's part of telling the last 10%, is keeping a short account. If you're good with people, you are good with people. And the thing is, we're not to speak the truth to each other in self-righteous indignation. We're to speak the truth to each other in love. And some of us love to tell the truth. Some of us are truth tellers. We are recreational truth tellers. We dig it. We love to tell the truth, but our truth telling doesn't have much love in it. Does that make sense? Uh, this is a funny little story. There's, there are these authors, writers and teachers, Charlie and Martha Shedd. They're a married couple, and they, uh, they have very open and honest communication in their marriage, um, a, very, a very loving marriage. And uh, Charlie uh, talks about the single most memorable letter he ever got from his wife. They were having a big, huge fight, and he got this letter from her. It said, Dear Charlie, I hate you. Love, Martha. Which I think, I think is awesome. I mean, if I got a letter like that from Lori, I would totally laugh my head off. But I would also know, hey, man, she's pretty serious. But that's speaking the truth in love. I mean, she didn't hold anything back 100%, and I love you. So let's not speak the truth in self-righteous, judgmental, sarcastic ways. It just lets Satan get a hold of our souls, get a hold in our community. It's not the way we do it. We need to have Nathans and Pauls. As a community, we should have people that we invite. There should be invitations for somebody to speak the truth to you. Now, my wife speaks the truth to me, but I also have men in my life to whom I look at and say, if, if I'm doing something you see, call me on it. I mean, there were four guys up here on stage that have that right in my life. Now, if you're thinking that maybe you could be that for me as well, I'm full, full up. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, I hear Alan's taking applications. So, anyway, that's speaking truth in love. Uh, it's how we grow as a community more like Christ, into Christ. So now I want to spend a few minutes talking about Jesus being grace and truth. So this is John 1. Uh, it's 1 through 17. I'm going to skip some verses. It should be, it should be kind of familiar territory. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, I love this passage a whole bunch. If I were going to tell you to know one verse in the Bible, I would say John 3.16. But if I were going to tell you to know two, it would be John 3.16 and John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In fact, allow me to speak a truth that I think gets overlooked I think because we are so interested in, in, in being inclusive and not so interested in telling the last 10%. We hear a lot uh, on, on, on television, 
talk shows, you know, personalities uh, um, everywhere that say, um, well-meaning people that say different faiths all believe in the same God. We just, we just worship him in different ways. Or that there are many pathways to God. You just, have to, you just have to pick one that feels good. Pick one that works out for you. Um, you may even hear folks who say they're Christians saying the same thing. And they're well-meaning. It's all about being inclusive. And, the, and, and it is true. Here is some true. We all need a Savior. Life is hard, and we need each other. We are all God's children. But the last 10% is this. We don't all believe in the same God. And there's only one way to get to him. So let me read these first five verses here again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus. We, 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 we call Jesus the Word. We also call him the Son of God. The Word was with God. This is meaning God the Father. And the Word was God. We believe that Jesus is God, and not all faiths believe that. He was in the beginning with God. He is uncreated. He just was. I mean, Christmas is not where Jesus started. He doesn't have a start. All things were made through him. Jesus made everything, is what that means. He flung the stars in space. When we sing indescribable and we say, who has told every, mountain bolt, or every, every lightning bolt where to go? Who has seen heavenly storehouses laden with snow? Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus carries within him creation's breath, and he is the only way to salvation. That's why he says, no man shall come to the Father but through the Son, because Jesus is God. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, and that just means Jesus kicks Satan's tail. So there's the last 10%, and I say that as truth and because I love our church. Now let's move on to Jesus being grace and truth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus becomes born. God becomes born. That's why we call him the Son of God. Not because, uh, not because the Heavenly Father has a Heavenly Mother, but because we saw a boy come out, and so we said the Son of God. But he does not lose his divinity when he puts on skin. Does that make sense? He is God. That's why we call him Emmanuel, God with us. Here's the good news. Here's the grace part, as if that wasn't enough. He comes not to be jury, judge, executioner, which he very well could. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but sin, there's a payment for sin, and the payment is death. That's a harsh payment. It's just what it is. 
But he comes and gives us forgiveness. He brings with him a last-minute, 11th-hour presidential pardon that everybody has the opportunity to take hold of. Piper calls it, John Piper calls it, a wonderful, righteous, God-exalting, costly grace. Andy Stanley calls it a grace that acknowledges the full implication of sin and yet does not condemn. It's hard for us to fathom this kind of grace uh, because we don't have it. We don't have it within us. We, when, when we give grace to something, we, we have an idea of what we're holding back, and there's always a thing about it. But God gives us this costly grace. It's a grace that leads to Jesus' death on a cross, which leads us to the truth, why he is so full of grace and full of truth. Because, like I said before, sin has to have a payment, and that payment is death. So for Christ to come down and just give us grace as wonderful as it is, if it didn't come with, uh, if he wasn't true to his word, and he didn't give sin its penalty, the grace would cost nothing. Sin would have not been killed like it needs to be. And so, on the cross... When Christ died, he was true to himself because sin was punished. Does that make sense? And when he died, God was gracious to us because we did not have to pay that price. It's a horrible, beautiful thing. That is why Jesus is full of grace and truth. And I'm going to close here, which is uh, speaker lingo for band get ready. Uh, and I have to tell you that this subject matter is, uh, it makes me feel very inadequate uh, because it's very, very, very important for us as a community uh, and as believers, and I'm very fallible. Uh, and I pray that God supernaturally speaks to you in spite of me. And as we get ready to respond, and if you're a visitor, welcome. Uh, we here at Mountain Park, you know, we, we have the band coming out. We're going to sing some songs, and you're welcome to sing with us. And you're also welcome uh, to come up and write down a sin or a concern and nail it to the cross here to come and pray by yourself. No one will bother you right here. To light a candle as a symbol uh, of light in a dark place for you, for a loved one. To be anointed for healing to pray with someone, or to partake of the elements in communion in the back. But while we are preparing ourselves to respond, I want us to remember something, that Jesus loves you with a love that you cannot fathom. One so overwhelming, so full of grace and truth, that it caused him to give himself over to crucifixion to pay for our offenses against him. That doesn't even make any kind of practical sense to us because we don't have the capacity to understand it or do that. But we are his children, and we are children. As Ephesians says, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And that's not what God wants from us. 
He wants us to speak truth to one another in love. That's how we grow up into him. Ephesians says that we need one another to help each other do this so that we can build ourselves up in love. In a mountain park, community church focused on growing up into Christ should be our goal. We should spur each other on to good works and call each other to a higher thing. Let's sing. Blessings, church.